Enjoying a good weekend? Oh, it's about four or five. Anyone enjoying a good weekend? Give me a wave if you like Easter. It's great, eh? The world thinks it's all about chocolate, but we know the real story. That it's far, far greater than a bunny or chocolate. Quite amazing, isn't it? Um, so much has been lost when you think about it. That Easter is... If you, if you Google it um, about holiday weekends, it comes up with some very formal type terms about what Easter is. So much has been lost that it's thought to be about, um, about chocolate. Robert, do you mind holding on to that for me? Um, good catch. <laughs> but, but, you know, society in the past has recognised the, the place and the power um, of Easter to a far greater degree. I want to show a, a clip, and if you can get that ready, that film, that YouTube clip for me about the resurrection. I watched a few clips about the resurrection, but the disciples seem to just be stunned. And just the acting was a bit lame. Um, and the one I'm going to show you probably doesn't reflect Middle Eastern people, but the heart and the meaning is there. So can we just watch a little bit about the, the resurrection? being acted out. Gone. 
He has risen. Risen now, the body's stolen. He said, after three days, I will rise again. Risen? He's alive. <laughs> Barry, he's alive! He said he would rise after three days. He's alive! Come on, we must tell the others, come on! Why are you weeping? You carried my lord away. Tell me where you laid him, please. Mary. Let me go now. I haven't yet ascended to my father. Now go to the others and tell them I'm alive. Mary, you go and tell them for me. This is ridiculous. We saw him crucified. We buried him ourselves. How could he be alive? How could Lazarus be alive? How could blind men see? I'm sorry, but I don't believe that death has conquered that easily. There are too many other possibilities. He is the son of God. Jesus himself said there would be false prophets. We have to be careful. This could be a trick. Thomas. You must believe. I want to, Mary. Believe me, I want to. But my mind won't let me. I'll have to see for myself. Thomas. I saw him. Are you sure it was him? Did you see the wounds in his wrists? Can't be sure. Something else is going on here. Unless I see the mark of the nails, no. Unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails, I will not believe. Peace be with you. Wow. Portrayal of, of uh, the story, eh? Can we bring the lights up?
I like to see the whites in people's eyes. <laughs> I know if you're sleeping. You know, it all hinges on the resurrection. And I want to just ask the question and seek to answer it today of how can we actually know? How can we actually know something that happened 2,000 years ago? If you can bring that scripture up, um, Josh, that would be really appreciated. This is what Paul wrote about it. He said, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Would you say useless? Yes. Preaching is useless. And your faith is yes. useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there, sorry, I took a little bit out, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Now, they're incredibly strong words, eh? If the resurrection can be proved to be a false claim, everything about Christianity just completely crumbles. So today is a really important day. And, you know, we never know when we're going to get an opportunity to talk to a, a friend or a work colleague because um, people will say something and ask us a question about why do you believe that, you know, that Jesus rose from the dead? And we either have an answer at that moment or we go, I'll get back to you. And the second reason why it's really important for us to think about this today particularly is that, you know, we need to have an absolute solid assurance that we can say to people, no, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And we know that because, see, faith, faith is a step beyond what we can understand, right? But it doesn't begin at a faith level. It begins at the concrete things of life. The absolutely solid, absolutely true things, like the fact that Jesus lived on this planet. A man called Jesus lived on this planet just over 2,000 years ago. And he has affected every single generation since. His name will not stop being talked about. But it's based on a historic, absolutely true understanding. So I want to give you six things um, if I can today, um, that will help you and me to be able to have conversations with people. And some of these things have to be things that are outside the Bible. Because if we're just saying to, to people who are not believers, well, the Bible says that it's true, it becomes a circular argument about Jesus, and they can completely dismiss it and say, well, that's just you believing what's written in that book. There have to be things that we can say to people outside of that that actually verify the fact that Jesus was here, really died, and then was seen three days later by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. They say 500 just at one time. People saw him. The first thing is what I've been preaching about for a little, a little while, actually, and it's that near-death experiences actually corroborate that Jesus resurrected. And I found that this is an amazing way of getting a conversation going that doesn't just become 
back and forwards, but draws people in to what's going on because people are really interested in near-death experiences. A lot of people have had them. Every time I preach on this, I get different people coming and, and, and sharing something of their own stories of medical, um, I was going to say adventures. <laughs> Can we call them medical adventures? <laughs> or, or close friends that have told them, this happened when I was in, uh, you know, in, a, in a death situation and I, I came back and, and I saw this when, when I was away. And, and these are things that people want to be able to talk about. And people right across the globe are coming back and saying pretty much the same thing. That, that they run into a being who is clearly the supreme Lord and Master of the ages to come. And he perfectly matches the description of the resurrected Jesus that John saw on the island, island of Patmos. And this is what Revelation chapter 1 verses 13 to 16 says. It says, and standing in the, he was standing in the middle of the lampstands. Now, when it says lampstands, here's someone in the first century trying to explain with what he knows of, of how light is, is created and, and emitted. He, he's saying, he's someone standing in the middle of light. Was someone like the Son of Man. His head and his hair were, like, were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace, just absolutely glowing. You can imagine someone polishing, uh, uh, stoking the fire up, and the bronze is getting hotter and hotter, and when they bring it out, it's got an absolute glow that, that not only emits heat, but just powerfully emits light. And his feet were like that. And he held seven stars in his right hand. In other words, out of his hand was emitting light that was even more powerful than other parts of his being. It just had a, a majesty about it. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. So 2,000 years ago, the resurrected Jesus revealed himself to John on this beautiful Greek island called Patmos. And he used the best words, as I said, to describe what he was seeing in, in, of his day and then 2,000 years later, medical science starts bringing people back from the dead. And who do they see but the same person, the same God, the same being that John wrote down 2,000 years ago. That's an amazing evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second thing that is, is really good to understand and know is that non-Christians wrote about the fact that Jesus resurrected. The most famous one is Josephus, and I've got his quote uh, just up here. Now, Josephus was a Jew. He was not a Christian. He did not convert to Christianity, but he was a priest in that day, and he wrote this, and he said, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was the one uh, one who, who wrought surprising feats and a teacher of such people as accept truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And Pilate, upon hearing him, accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, because he was brought by the Sanhedrin to, to Pilate, had condemned him to be crucified. Those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. But on the third day, he appeared to them restored to life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. 
and the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this, this day not disappeared. That's amazing. He not only lived on the planet, but non-Christian people are writing about the fact that he resurrected. That's a strong, strong evidence that what the Bible actually says and what we celebrate today is absolutely true. He was a literal, historic figure written about by other real people. This is not just preaching. This is the truth. Of course, preaching's the truth too. But I'm not just making up a story. This is history. And the third thing I want to um, help you to see is that Jesus accurately and precisely fulfilled Messiah prophecies out of the Bible. Accurately and precisely fulfilled Messiah prophecies out of the Bible. You see, the Jews were expecting someone from God who would be their rescuer. They called him Messiah. They've been waiting for him, and they've rejected Jesus. Many of the, the, or the nation has rejected Jesus, and they're still waiting for one whom they would call Messiah. But Jesus came and fulfilled Messiah prophecies. It was prophesied about him things like where he would be born, which would be everyone. And where he would be raised, Nazareth, quite a distance, four days walking between them. I hope to do it in September. And he would travel to Egypt, that most of his, his ministry would be in Galilee. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. They prophesied that he would do miracles, that he would heal people, that he would suffer, that he would be whipped, that he would be lifted up from the earth, that he would bear our sins, that he would be pierced in his death in his side, that uh, soldiers would gamble for his clothes. Now, that, some of these things are just impossible to orchestrate. This is the point of, of, of prophecy being fulfilled. That he would be buried in a rich man's grave, ride on a donkey into Jerusalem, be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, be a willing sacrifice, um, be born out of the tribe of Judah, be a descendant of David, uh, be preceded by a messenger whose name was John the Baptist, um, and that many children would die as a result of his birth, and that he would resurrect from the dead. The Old, Old Testament prophesied all of these things and much, much more. They, they estimate there's about 61 plus prophecies that were prophesied over the Messiah. And here comes Jesus. Now, someone might say, well, couldn't someone just fulfill those prophecies by chance? And some people have done um, the mathematics on this. And a, a man by the name of Louis Lap Lapides who became a Christian, he was a, con he was a Jew, and he converted to Christianity, he, he um, came up with these figures. He said the chance that Jesus was able to fulfill just eight of those prophecies in his lifetime, just by chance, is one chance in a hundred million billion. Just eight things aligning that Jesus would fulfill. And so to illustrate that, he gave a visual picture. And he said, if you took a number of U.S. American $1 coins, um, of that number of coins, it would cover the state of Texas 50 centimeters deep across the entire state of Texas. And he said, if you marked one coin and then got a blindfolded person 
to walk across the whole of Texas, backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and all over, and reach down and pick up one coin, that would be the probability that Jesus could fulfill eight of those prophecies about the Messiah. A guy by the name, a scientist by the name of Peter Stoner estimated the probability of someone fulfilling 48 prophecies about um, the Messiah. And he said there's one chance in a trillion to the power of 13, which means it's a trillion times 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 a trillion. One in all of that to fulfill 48 prophecies and totally align on Jesus Christ. And there's over 61 prophecies about him. And Jesus is the only man in history who has ever done it. It's a pretty strong argument. It's a pretty strong argument. You know, the logical extension of this is that if historically he fulfilled every other prophecy, then it's reasonable to conclude that he also fulfilled resurrecting from the dead. That's the logical conclusion. Famous lawyers have looked at, at the evidence for the resurrection and they've come to the conclusion that if the resurrection were put on, a, on trial today, the end of the trial would be he resurrected, is the conclusion that would be come to. And that's without factoring in what I said earlier, the evidence that we have in writing from non-Christians who actually wrote down at the time and has been recorded that he, he resurrected and walked around Jerusalem talking to people. Well, someone else might say something like this. Well, the scriptures can't really be trusted. Um, perhaps uh, they were adjusted after Jesus had come so that what, the way that things planned out in Jesus' life were kind of adjusted in the scriptures so that he would fulfill things, but it was all done after he'd died. And others might even take it further and say, well, maybe the book of Isaiah and the really uh, uh, prophetic books, perhaps they were actually written after Jesus actually died. Well, God foresaw that argument. And he ensured that a group called the Essenes, who lived in the desert area down to the the north area of um, of Israel, which is a very small country, actually. It's only the size of Canterbury. Uh, In the desert area, um, they stored portions of the Bible, and in some of those portions, they were incredibly um, large portions, complete books of the Bible. Isaiah, for example, is a complete book in in there. And they were stored away in pots, and they were hunted, um, and eventually... Uh, these pots were found in 1948, and they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls that you've probably heard about. And the Dead Sea Scrolls contained, as I said, um, some very complete books, and and they showed two things. First of all, they showed the accuracy of later translations, because the later translations of Isaiah, as scribes would meticulously write down uh, in the book to create another copy of the Bible, no, no digital print and outcomes, you know, Isaiah. It's all hand done, but done with such care. And here we have, have these older scrolls that have been uh, versions of the Bible that have been found, and when compared, they're the same. The second thing it, it did 
was it proved that they were not that they the books have not been altered because with carbon dating they've been dated to about 130 to 160 years before Jesus was born. So Jesus came and fulfilled all these prophecies of the Messiah, the only human being that ever has, and the books that were written in the Old Testament books that have been been preserved from way back then show that they they weren't altered. They weren't written after the fact and then lied about. He just came and fulfilled it. It's incredibly strong evidence, incredibly strong evidence for the resurrection. And you know, we know the resurrection is true, fourthly, because of the massive change in the disciples. And I want to just take you through thinking this, because something incredible transformed frightened and dejected men and women into courageous, completely unafraid advocates for Christianity. Now, there's two ways, they tell us, that people change. The first way is through a slow change in belief that happens over a long, long, long period of time. People have a core belief of, any individual will have a core belief of things they believe to be true, absolutely solid, they're not going to change on those things. And then outside of that, there's another circle and another circle and another circle of things. And out here are things that, well, maybe it's true, but maybe it's not. And they might hold some things, but they're nowhere near in the place of that core belief. Societies of people also have core beliefs. And then outside of that, there are other beliefs that are held. And occasionally, a radical person will pop up, and they will come up with, they're called an outlier, and an outlier will come up with some, some radical thought that actually challenges a lot of the core belief that a, that a group of people will actually hold. And that person will be condemned and ridiculed and put down for their belief. But often, there'll be one or two people over time who will say, actually, there's a bit of truth in this. And they'll start to think about it. And that outlying belief will slowly start to come towards the core and perhaps even be accepted into the core of beliefs. Let me illustrate this with a very common one today, a very uh, in-our-face one today by the name of Israel Folau. The dilemma that is happening with Israel Flower today illustrates something coming from an outlier belief years ago being brought over by society and trying to be brought into the very core beliefs of a society. Now let's accept that Israel could have been wiser. Can we accept that? But what he said is not a capital offence. It's not a sacking offence. He's broken his contract. He had a contract not to say certain things. But many NRL, many rugby players have broken their contracts in various areas before today. It's not hate speech. He's not inciting violence. It's not homophobic. He mentions many sins. He hasn't singled out one particular sin to to, uh, uh, throw in people's face. He's actually, as we know, quoting scripture. But today, 
scripture as being ex, uh, deemed unacceptable. Not that long ago, scripture was in the very center core of society's understanding of beliefs. But there's a big push to the outer edges of what is acceptable and to be believed by society today. Now, he might get fired for what he said, but he's certainly being ridiculed by the media. True? Now, this situation didn't happen overnight. Forty years ago, let's assume we have the, had the internet. If we had the internet, but 40 years ago, Israel's statement wouldn't have caused a ruckus. Because back in the 60s and the 70s, people who were caught committing homosexual acts um, would be arrested and sent to prison for around about three months. And then, and coming into the 80s, there was a lot of talking and a lot of pressure started to arise and be exerted about human rights and discrimination. And in 1986, so committing all sorts of sin was, was as, as being right, and including within that homosexuality, was way over here, where the society's general core beliefs were here. And then in 1986, New Zealand voted to de decriminalize homosexuality. And slow, slowly, this idea began to be accepted and normal and to come and approach towards the center of Western society. And people's thinkings and laws began to change about discriminating regarding people's sexuality. And in 2004, civil unions uh, became legal, giving same-sex uh, couples the same legality as married couples. And if you remember, Helen Clark and others said, we were, we're not interested in marriage, we just simply want the legal protection for couples who are going to live together um, uh, as if, if they separate, as if they would have um, being married. But then, 2013, same-sex marriage became legal. And now the media... Uh, becomes a tool to stop people holding other opinions and expressing them. And the media um, now call any, any different opinion, um, particularly the Christian op opinion of what um, is sin and what isn't sin in God's sight, hate speech. So today, people's perception about homosexuality has changed incredibly. It's been drawn towards the center and the Bible and Christianity, as I said, is now becoming pushed to the side as much as the media um, and secular worldview is able to do. Now, my point is, this type of change takes years. That's what I started to prove. <laughs> it cannot happen in a week or three weeks or a month. It actually takes years and years for society's values to be shifted and changed like this. Now, the other form of change is sudden change, sudden change in thinking. It's immediate, it's lasting, and it comes about as, uh, as a result of life-changing experience, and it completely alters our worldview. After someone has had a life-changing experience happen to them, they can be challenged in all sorts of ways to retract from that to step back from it, but if they've experienced, you'll find people saying, no, this is true. And you can't convince me to go back to what I used to think. And this is the change that we see in the disciples. What was it? What would be big enough to cause the disciples to go from that 
to this. It's not the process of slowly having thinking adjusted. What could possibly cause people? Now you think about it, I don't know if you've ever been in a particularly violent situation where your life is threatened, where people are being beaten up, perhaps uh, blood is running, you can hear the thud of fists, and you're coward. You know you'd like to be able to step in and do something, but you don't. And who you are and what you believe has been just shocked into silence and stepping back and coward. And not just that, but the disciples had seen that. They'd seen the most vicious, violent, threatening situation happen to Jesus Christ. But not just that, every dream that they'd had, every hope that they'd had, every maybe it could be possibly true that they'd had, had been just utterly, utterly squashed. What could possibly change men and women who were like that into these bold, fearless, courageous people? Peter gets up, he's cowered by a, a couple of questions by, by a servant woman, and then he's preaching before thousands. And he doesn't just preach nice stuff. He says, you killed him! You killed him! You put him on the cross! It's your fault! He's there. He gives it to them in Acts chapter 2. What could possibly cause that? Paul is another one. Paul is utterly, utterly angry to the core that here are these, these, these liars called Christians and they've told, they're telling Jews that they don't need to sacrifice anymore and the temple doesn't matter. And, and he's so angry, he, gets, he, he, he's, he, he will take violence to them. He will take them to prison. He's willing to be there when people get stoned to death like Stephen's death. And, and he's, he's, he's out to get as many Christians as he can because he's so jealous and zealous for God. Yahweh. He's trying to protect Yahweh. And then all of a sudden, days, something happens and days later, he's one of them. And he becomes the biggest advocate for preaching that Jesus died and resurrected. All of these disciples died horrific deaths. Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I can't die in exactly the same way as my Lord and Master. So they were happy to crucify him upside down. Only John lived. And John was... Nero put him in a, uh, at the request of one of his dinner parties where they would burn Christians for, as the torches to keep the, everything looking good. It must have smelled terrible. Yeah. Don't know how you could eat. Hello, you there? Yeah, Think of it. And so they, they put him into boiling oil, but he comes back up still alive. They put him back into boiling oil. They lower him down in, and he comes back up alive and singing. Nero eventually gave up and exiled him to Patmos because he couldn't kill him. But the others all died these horrific deaths. Paul had the, the, um, the sword across his head and his head rolled. They wouldn't recant. They wouldn't say, no, it's not true. What could possibly change people's lives from 
dejected and coward people into heroes for the faith. The only piece of evidence that makes any sense is that they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and Thomas got to put his hands in here, by the way. It'll rip out of a person's hand hanging for six hours. They, they put him through here. It's the only piece of evidence that makes sense. Man, isn't that something strong to stand on as a Christian? People see Jesus when they have these out-of-body experiences. Wow. Jesus fulfilled all the Messiah prophecies. Wow. The disciples absolutely changed from that to that instantaneously because they saw him. Non-Christians write about it, wrote about it, saying, yeah, it happened. And then there's the church, the church being alive today. Nothing explains the church being alive today but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, it's a real shame that Notre Dame got burnt, right? How many have seen it, by the way? Some of you globe-trotting Christians. <laughs> I never got to see it, but I want to go there. I really want to go there and, and get to see this. What I have seen, though, of just the few places I've been in Europe is, is there's churches everywhere. And, and those cathedrals were full in their day. They were full, full in their day. Nothing explains the effect on Europe, the then-known world, and the, the money. I mean, we would all say they're just over-the-top money, but it happened, so let's just accept it. I guess we just have to accept it. But the devotion and the money, because Christianity spread across Europe into Britain, into all the places as, the, as, as um, people spread out, the only thing that explains it is the fact that the Jesus Christ actually resurrected from the dead. What a solid foundation we stand on. And then the last thing, the sixth thing is, is what about your life? I, I was a church-going person. I went to a Presbyterian church. I'm not sure that any of my ministers, I might be doing them a disservice. I was 15, 16. Um, I'm not sure many of them were saved. Um, I, never, I never actually believed it was true. We just went. I might be like some of you. Until one day, Jesus broke into my life. He radically changed the very inside of me. I have taken a completely different trajectory in life because of meeting Jesus, and he's kept coming in, breaking in, leading, and as Robert was pointing out, all these blessings of various things that come about because of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Is there anyone else here today who has met this resurrected Jesus Christ by faith? Is there anyone else here that, that knows that Jesus is alive, he's not dead, he's not, he's not a historic figure? Of all the, all the founders of religion, only Jesus Christ is alive today. Isn't it amazing? Even the Quran says it's Jesus who's coming back, not Muhammad. He's the only one that's alive. And we're celebrating him today.
Can I have the band come up and I'd, I'd like to, you just to lead us into a, a, a song of close. Can you stand? I I want to encourage you to be courageous. You know, this is not a lesson to tick off, put away. This is something to share. This is something that changed your life and can change the lives of all the people that you come into contact around with. The only thing is we have to just click in with where God is working with that person at that level. But you know, God is working with more people than we've ever imagined around our city. All the races, all the ages. You know, I have such a heart for older folks. Maybe it's because I've got white hair now. I, I hate the thought of people going to the eternity. I read, I read stories, you know. I read stuff the other day of a lady who said, I'm, I'm, so, I'm going to be so pleased to die, and she had died. She said, I'm going to be so pleased to die because it'll all be over. There'll just be blackness. I would love to have talked to her and say, why do you think that? What are you basing that on? Can I talk to you about what people are finding when they come back from the dead and cheering with us? Jesus is alive. Thank you.